0: Welcome to On the Journey Conversations brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union, where God's mission is our passion. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Through the cooperative program, Southern Baptists pool their resources to support the work of six theological seminaries. The convention operates these seminaries to train its ministers and Christian workers. The six are Gateway in California, Midwestern in Kansas City, New Orleans in New Orleans, of course, the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, and Southwestern in Fort Worth. Collectively, the six seminaries have been given a challenging mission to prepare God-called men and women for vocational service in Baptist churches and in other Christian ministries throughout the world, through programs of spiritual development, theological studies, and practical preparation in ministry. Today I'm speaking with Anna Dobb, a Ph.D. student at Southeastern, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Anna, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted you're with me this afternoon. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you as well. I'm on the campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's our youngest seminary of the six across the United States, and I love the tour. Thank you for showing me around. You're welcome. We're glad that you were able to be here. It's a beautiful campus, and I would encourage anybody to come see what God is doing at Southeastern. And I've known your family for a long time. Yes, you do. You come from a missions family. Your mother is devoted, but she's not the only one in your family devoted to missions. Tell me about the family you grew up in
1: and how you were influenced for missions. Sure. Uh, So like you said, my mom is incredibly devoted to missions. She has been a WMU director. She's taught GAs. My dad's taught RAs. It goes back even further than that. My grandfather did short-term medical missions before it was cool. So, he was a doctor who felt very called to serve the world, and so he would go on these short-term trips to all different hospitals around the world, and he would take his kids with him when he could, and it gave them a heart for the nations, and then of the six siblings that my mom is the oldest of, three or four of them have either been overseas or they've served in a church plant here in the United States. That grandfather, who I never knew actually, um, influenced a generation of children who grew up to be supporters of God's mission, who then influenced an entire another generation, which would be my generation, where there's many of us who have been overseas or have done work in ministry.
0: That's an incredible legacy and speaks to the value of short-term missions. It does, yeah. And how it can influence people. So tell me, when your grandfather traveled on these short-term mission trips to hospitals around the world, what a phenomenal experience. And from that you are here on the campus of Southeastern. Tell us what you're doing here.
1: Sure, I am currently pursuing a PhD in applied theology with a concentration in missions. I should finish soon, hopefully. (laughs) And I also work in the Office of Global Theological Initiatives for Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.
0: With a PhD, you've done your dissertation, you've submitted it, I have. you have yet to defend it. Correct. And hopefully you'll be graduating in Hopefully in December, yeah. That's exciting. We should also mention you did graduate work on the campus of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's correct.
1: What did you do there? So I did a Master of Divinity with a concentration in Missiology. Okay, so when we're done with
0: this PhD, are we done? I hope so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I jokingly tell my parents all the time, though, that I'm a lifelong learner, so you never know. Yes, well,
0: (laughs) I'm a strong advocate of lifelong learning. Well, I know your parents are incredibly proud of you. Those of us who are watching and cheering on the sidelines are incredibly proud of you as well. I just want to mention that those of you that read Missions Mosaic, you've probably seen some of Anna's writings in Missions Mosaic. So stay tuned to learn more of this doctoral student and what God is doing through her. So, you're going to graduate in December. Hmm? Tell us about this new role
1: that you're moving into. Sure, so I'm going to become the Director of Special Projects and Partnerships for Global Theological Initiatives at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We went for the longest and most ambiguous title. <laughs>
0: That's a lot to put on a business card. It really is. Um, you're going to have a business placard
1: that I, you have to, maybe, going to wear around yep. your neck. <laughs> Specifically, I've been given kind of three tasks. First of all, and I would say most importantly uh, right now, is that I'm going to be thinking through creative ways to get theological education to women in the majority world. I am incredibly excited that Southeastern has put their stamp of approval on moving forward in this endeavor. What I recognize about theological education in the majority world is that for women it tends to be very limited, and their options Mm -hmm. tend to be very limited. And so I'm excited to be able to think through creative ways to get theological education to them.
0: Talk to us a little bit about the concept of majority
1: world because that may not be a phrase that our listeners are used to. Sure, so a lot of the missions literature kind of divides the world into what they call the Western world, which would be Europe and North America. Basically anybody who's got a significant impact by the enlightenment, where that kind of traces back to. And then the rest of the world is considered the majority world. So you're thinking Latin America, Africa, Asia, all of those places kind of roll into this idea of majority world.
0: And your job is to get theological education for women in the majority world. Well, <laughs> why not just—it's a big world. Um, why not just? Why not just
1: start out with the biggest goal you could think of? I mean, why start small?
0: <laughs> I, I agree with you. So, how are you going
1: to do that? Uh, I mean, at this point, I'm not really sure. Right now, we're in the planning stages. We're having a lot of conversations with existing partnerships. So Global Theological Initiatives, let me give you a little background of just our entire program. We are the international partnership arm of Southeastern. We exist to employ the resources of Southeastern to benefit theological education around the world. The way that we often do that is through leadership development cohorts. So we're working with schools or already existing entities in a lot of places, and we're asking the question. How can we help you become the best school you need to be? So we're not looking for a whole bunch of Southeastern Extension Centers. We're actually looking at how do we partner with you in Africa or in Latin America, and how do we help you have really strong, biblically faithful, contextually appropriate theological education? And how do we help you be the people, you being the school, who can get that to the masses? So our goal really is to train the trainers. So we're looking around and saying, who in your school needs further education to be able to help you become the strongest school you can become?
0: I love this concept. It's not going to pay the bills. No. (laughs) And we were talking earlier and someone said it's a bad business model, but it is an incredible kingdom model. It is. To equip women in the majority world to be salt and light in their communities.
1: Yes, we're recognizing more and more, that, especially in some of these majority world areas, there are a lot of women who are doing a lot of work in their their churches, but have had no theological background. And so we wanna ask the question and we wanna hopefully answer, give give some creative answers, I guess I should say, of how do we help you learn how to correctly handle the word of truth and to feel confident in that Mm -hmm. so that they can then teach other women, they can help in their churches, And I think by strengthening women in these particular areas, we strengthen the global church.
0: You absolutely do. So that was the first thing. There were two other things. there's two more.
1: I'm also going to be the liaison between our global theological initiatives and our doctoral offices. So we recognize- In your spare time. In my spare time, yeah. Um, (laughs) We recognize that there are some people in the majority world who really do need to get that doctoral level training, who are gifted, Mm -hmm. who are called, the issues are they don't want to leave a proven position or they don't, or, or they, they may not have the money. Um, so we want to think through some creative options of helping make a pathway for them to be able to get into a doctoral program. Those will be few and far between, but we do want to be able to have somebody who's helping them do that.
0: And you'll be working with seminaries around the world to make that happen?
1: Yes. So we'll be working with our Global Theological Initiative students who've graduated from our master's programs. A few of them, we would hope, Mm -hmm. would go on to doctoral programs. It's just like master's degrees here. Not everybody who gets a master's degree chooses to go into a doctoral program, but there are some that need to. And Mm -hmm. so how do we help make that pathway? My boss often talks about being the people who clear the rocks for other people to, to take the road. And that's one of the, way, the things that we're trying to do here in Global Theological Initiatives is say, how do we clear some of those rocks that might be in your way to get the right people doctoral degrees so they can be the teachers and trainers in their own spot?
0: Okay, and you've got a tiny bit left, space left on the business bit card. Bit,
1: yep. So what's the third one? <laughs> so the third one is thinking through some certificate-level training for places where there aren't theological education opportunities. So looking at some global women's options that may be part of this uh, certificate part, looking and saying if there's not theological education opportunities and some of these people maybe don't have the credentials to be able to go into an undergraduate or a graduate program, Mm -hmm. are there certificate options that we can offer so that they're getting some kind of training in their location? Now what we try to be really careful of in our global theological initiatives is we don't want to be the competition to our own partners. Mm -hmm. So if there is a seminary who's already offering certificate and undergraduate level options, we're not trying to get in the way of that. We're asking, are there places where it doesn't exist? Mm -hmm. And let's help get some theological training to those places. Does that make sense? And in the meantime,
0: you're also teaching classes. I am, yes. (laughs) Tell us about the class you're teaching right now.
1: So I am actually going to teach, starting tonight, an evangelism class for women in the Dominican Republic over Zoom. So it'll be... All right, and this is
0: the first time you've taught that class. This
1: is the first time I've taught this class, and it's the first time I've done an entire class over Zoom, so we'll see how it goes. Okay,
0: but usually you teach a missions class. Correct. And you'll be doing that again in the fall?
1: I will be, yes. Okay. Um, So I've taught, as an adjunct instructor here at Southeastern, this kind of introduction to Christian missions course, and then I'm going to be teaching it again in the fall both on campus and online.
0: I loved my Introduction to Christian Mission class and seminary that I took, and I still remember things from that class. If you had a student 30 years from now, what would you want them to remember from your class? That's a great question.
1: I've actually been giving a lot of thought to this because I'm trying to build a new class for the fall, and so what do I want students to take away from that? Mm-hmm. And the answer to my question would be that 21st century missiology, 21st century missions is us boldly going together. So it's going to be men and women boldly going together. It's going to be singles and marrieds boldly going together. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be Western missionaries and majority world missionaries boldly going together. If I can get my students to the end of the semester to remember that, I think that I will have succeeded.
0: I think they will be able to remember that 30 years from now. That is fantastic. You grew up in missions discipleship. What is something that you learned then that you carry with you
1: today? Mm, That's a great question. To be honest, the times when missionaries spoke to us, either over a, a, a Skype call or a phone call, or whether they were there in person at the church, and getting to see their heart and their passion for the people that they served, And getting to hear their stories and recognize you have some really great success stories mixed with some really big failures. And recognizing that missions is about the everyday. And so getting to hear their stories, getting to see the videos, where we celebrated the way that God was moving around the world, but also recognizing these are ordinary people that the Lord had called and gifted and equipped to take his name across the world is probably what I remember the most. Celebrating successes
0: and failures, that is a good point. And that is something I remember from my intro to Christian mission classes. Professor Bryant Hicks, who had been a foreign mission board missionary, I just remember one time him admitting that someone had sent him a check, and he put it in his desk drawer and found it six months later. And so he talked about how embarrassing that was to have to contact the donor. And he gave such practical insights in that course and I carry those things with me till today.
1: It's great. So. It's not all about success, is it? It's not. No.
0: We learn as much from our failures as we do from our successes.
1: We do. That's what one of the things that I've appreciated about global theological initiatives. Because we're always trying to create, we're always trying to be innovative. There's a lot of times when things don't work. And so we have a lot of times where we assess what we've already done. And we've said, what worked? What doesn't? How do we continue to move forward? How do we continue to move those rocks like we mm-hmm. talked about a minute ago? And being okay with recognizing I don't have to be perfect at this as long as I'm continually doing what I think the Lord has called me to do.
0: But that's a counterculture to even Western Christianity. It is. (laughs) So (laughs) what would you say to committed Christ followers who are not used to that type of model? They want to see success.
1: Sure. I think we all do, especially, like you said, as Western Christians. And we want it to be immediate because we're kind of in this microwave mentality where I can can heat up my food in two seconds. I would I always come back and say at the end of the day obedience is the goal not quantifiable results. And so even in this evangelism class I'm about to teach I'm talking about what counts as successful evangelism. It's not whether or not you see a person come to know Jesus at that moment, although we pray that that's the end result. What counts as a successful evangelism is that I listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and I responded in boldness when he gave me the opportunity to proclaim his name. I think back to Ephesians 6, when Paul says, pray also for me for the boldness that I may proclaim the word of God as I ought. And I think about this with Paul, because I'm like, Paul was, you know, apostle extraordinaire. And and yet he's telling people, pray for me that I might have the boldness to proclaim the word of God as I ought. And that's what I would say to people, is, is have people who are praying for you Mm -hmm. that you might have the boldness to share when you have the opportunity, and then celebrate that you shared. Celebrate that someone heard. Celebrate that God's Word went forth and that seeds were planted, and you have no idea how those seeds are going to take root over the many, many years.
0: Those are all great insights. Since you're teaching this evangelism class for women in the Dominican Republic, what would you say to us Western Christians who are too afraid to give a verbal witness to God's work in our lives because we're afraid of what people will think of us?
1: I think that that is a real fear for people in our culture, and I also know that there's statistics out there that talk about people who, re- who really truly believe that sharing our faith or, or trying to tell someone else about our faith is actually wrong. And that's, that's how much our culture has shifted. And I think at some point, we have to come back to, what does the Bible say? And do I trust God's story over the story that my culture is telling me? And so God's story is that He is a God who wants to be known, that he is making himself known to the nations. And so God creates, uh, or, or God sends us to make him known. And that is the reason we exist. If, we, if, that, if that wasn't the reason we exist, as soon as we became believers, we would poof, just be in heaven with God. But he, he allows us to be part of his mission. He allows us to be part of making his name known to the world. And so choosing every day to say, Lord, I want to be part of that mission. I want to be part of that vision. And I continually come back to Revelation 7-9, this picture, there's, there's people from every language, tribe, and nation around the throne worshiping the Lord. And that's the end goal of all this. And if I get up every day and say, that's what my end goal is, I want to be a, I want to be a part. I want to be a teeny tiny little part of getting people to that throne room. I think that when you do that, and then also I'm gonna to add to that, when you abide in Christ, he says that he gives us the authority to be his witnesses and to be able to make disciples of other people. And so through keeping that end vision, through recognizing God's presence and authority with me, I can have the boldness to proclaim the word of God to other people.
0: What's one practical word that you would give to somebody that's listened that is consumed by fear of sharing their faith? What's what's one thing they could do today?
1: Sure. The easiest thing that I would say is start viewing it as I want to signal to people that I'm willing to have a spiritual conversation. And that doesn't necessarily mean that tomorrow I'm going to go out and share the full gospel. That means that I am going to do little things to let people know I believe in Jesus and I'm willing to have that conversation with you. So for instance, being able to tell people, I'd like to pray for you. Is there something specific I can pray for you for? Mm -hmm listening for a moment when you can maybe insert a bible story into a conversation that reminds me of a story that i've i've read in the bible can i tell it to you yes looking for moments in your day to talk with someone about how god has impacted your day i was reading the bible today and i and it just really encouraged me when i read this that gives you kind of a lifestyle that shows i'm a person who's willing to have a spiritual conversation and then the other the other like incredibly practical thing that i would say is just do it. I know that sounds terrifying, um, and I would say if you're if you're somebody who really is like paralyzed by that fear, go find another Christian and say, "Can I share my testimony with you? Can I try to tell the gospel to you? Can you give me pointers? Can you help me?" What I have found is that once you've done it, even if it's to another believer, once you've shared that testimony, once you've shared that gospel, the next time you get ready to share your faith, you are more comfortable doing it. So if you're afraid to do that with your non-believing neighbor, go talk to your husband or talk to your child or talk to your best friend and say, I just want to start practicing with you.
0: Those are great practical ideas and I'm grateful for you sharing. Our listeners today are people of prayer. So you have this great opportunity to have a host of witnesses praying for you. What do you want them to pray for you about?
1: Sure. I would ask that you pray for wisdom as I'm stepping into this new role of how do I best spend my time in a way that will make the most global impact, and specifically praying for wisdom of this puzzle of theological education for women. I think that it is an important piece that Mm -hmm. needs to be figured out, and I'm humbled by the fact that Southeastern is even letting me take a stab at it. And finally, I would say pray for the women in the global church. Pray for those who are teaching other women. Pray for those who are leading small groups and things like Mm -hmm. that. Pray that they would have boldness. Pray that they would have opportunities to grow in the the knowledge of of Jesus. And pray that they would be bold. You know, as Paul says, not to be ashamed of the gospel, but Mm -hmm. to be bold in that. And pray that God would move in them because I've said it multiple times. I don't think the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled by just Western missionaries going. I think there is a place for that. I think we should be going. But I think when that global church mobilizes and takes on the mantle of the Great Commission, that's when we will see it fulfilled.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. You've asked us to pray for you. You've given us some ideas of what to pray for you. I'm going to ask you one last question. What can we do, those of us who are listening, to impact young women? what could we say, what could we do to encourage them in their Christian walk?
1: Sure. Number one is teach them to be women of the Word. Teach them to love the Scripture. Mm-hmm. Encourage them to love the Scripture. Encourage them that if they don't know how to approach the Scripture, that they would seek out ways to learn. I think for so many years, women have felt like that's not something that's open to them. I think you're seeing that shift right now. And so trying to think through how do we help women have the opportunity and the knowledge to be able to feel like they can approach God's word on their own? Mm-hmm. And, and not, not that that means that they do it by themselves, by any stretch of the imagination, but that they have the tools to not be afraid of approaching scripture. And so like teaching them to love the word, also teaching them to be people of prayer. You said before that the people who are listening to this podcast are women of prayer. Mm-hmm. Teach us how to pray so that we may find the power that is there. My generation has grown up in a microwave society, in an internet society, and in a very fast-paced society. And so I know that many women my age struggle in prayer. And so teach us, teach us how to find that power there. Teach us how to rely on the Holy Spirit, teach us how to ask, and, and teach us how to wait for the response.
0: Well, very good. Well, Anna, I'm just thrilled that we could spend time together. I'm so excited about this new adventure that God is leading you on. I hope your defense of your dissertation goes well. Thank you. And that I know things in your new role won't go smooth every day, but I pray that God will be with you and will every day will confirm your
1: call that he's
0: placed on your life. And you will get to see him work in magnificent ways.
1: That's what I'm hoping. Whenever my boss and I were talking about me potentially taking this position, he said to me, I know that your heart is on the mission field, but if you can influence people by staying here, it's worth it. (laughs) It is. And we'll be praying for you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you as well. I am so grateful you took time to listen to this On the Journey conversation. I don't think Anna's grandfather could have dared dreamed where his legacy would lead his children and grandchildren. What an incredible missions heritage. It's not too late to plant mission seeds with your children and grandchildren. Visit WMUstore.com for ideas like Missions in a Box. And find a seminary student you can encourage today. We'll see you next time.